Hijacked, A Beechwood Adventure by G. Michael Smith Chapter 19 Exploring the Tunnel Billy felt a shiver run down his spine. He was a real explorer. The unknown was unfolding in front of him. New mysteries were his to explore and solve. Who knew if he would find gold and jewels or other treasure at the end of the tunnel? He entered the narrow tunnel that sloped gently down. This time he inspected the support beams as he went. If they were rotten, he needed to know. He looked at the first post and noticed that it was set on a rock pillar that kept it from touching the wet ground. He looked up at the support beam set on top of two posts on either side of the tunnel. The tops of the posts were covered with thick roofing material. The beam was dripping black. Billy reached up and touched the beam just a few centimeters above his head. It was shiny black but dry and completely coated in tar. That would keep it from rotting for a very long time. Billy realized that whoever built this tunnel wanted it to last for a long time and never be accidentally discovered. He continued down the slope to the section of solid wet rock walls he had reached before the day his flashlight went dead. The new LED lights would last at least ten times as long, and he had two of them. He felt secure that they would provide him with all the light he needed. He walked down the tunnel. It was colder and wetter the further he travelled. The ceiling got closer to his head until he had to duck to avoid scraping his head on the rock above. After a few metres, the rock became smoother on the walls and ceiling. Billy could see where the wall of a natural tunnel had been cut away to provide access. The ceiling was now covered with small, newly formed stalactites. They were forming on the remnants of older, larger stalactites that had been broken off. There were shards along the edge of the floor where it curved up to form the walls. Billy continued down the natural tunnel, past the point he had previously turned back. It continued to slope down and narrowed, he ran his hands along both tunnel walls as he went. He occasionally felt a vibration and realized he was probably right under the freeway. The floor leveled out and he continued for another 15 minutes. The vibration stopped and the floor of the tunnel began to gradually slope upwards and narrowed until he felt his shoulders brushing the sides as he walked. In the distance, he could only see a wall of rock. Oh, it's a dead end, he thought. Billy began to feel claustrophobic. He'd never felt that way before, so he wasn't exactly sure why he felt that way now, but it probably had something to do with the walls closing in on him. Although it was cool, he began to sweat under his T-shirt. He felt an urge to turn around and run back to the light and the ladder leading to safety. Just a few more steps, he whispered. Don't be a fraidy cat, he said out loud. He took another few steps, 
all the while staring at what looked like an end wall. He shook his head back and forth. He was saying no to going forward. The act caused the geek light to wave back and forth. With the motion of his head, the beam seemed to lengthen when it hit the left side of the end of the tunnel. You're an idiot. The tunnel doesn't end, it just bends to the left. He quickened his pace and soon reached the section of the tunnel where it sloped up and to the left. He looked in that direction and frowned. Moving a bit closer, he saw a barred gate three meters in front of him. He inspected it more closely and discovered a metal frame of flat bars set into the rock on both sides and the ceiling of the tunnel. A barred gate was hinged to the frame. A large lock hung on a hasp attached to the far side of the gate. The bars were rusted iron but still held strong. The lock was half concealed by a flat iron frame. Billy reached to the bars and rattled the lock. It was big and solid. It had a slight green tinge and looked like it was made of brass. It was locked. He took the rock hammer from his belt and tried to reach to the bars and hit the lock. He hoped it was old enough to break open. After a number of tries, he stopped. The sweat was pouring down his face. It was impossible to hit the lock with a solid blow from this side of the barred gate. He inspected the iron frame that held the gate. Maybe he could break it free from the lock. He started to hammer at the rock face. He stopped when a small shard spit out and stung his cheek. He sat down and stared at the gate. Someone sure did not want anyone to use this tunnel. It was obvious to Billy that the lock on the outside meant that someone with a key would come to the tunnel, drop something off or pick something up and leave again. They would not stay because the gate could only be locked from the outside. The fact that they had a locking gate in a secret tunnel meant they would not leave it unlocked for any length of time. Billy stood up and slipped the hammer back into his belt, turned around and headed back to the shed. His sense of claustrophobia, where the tunnel narrowed, did not bother him as much on the return trip. He reached the ladder, climbed up and out, and pulled the ladder up after him, then closed the trap door. He was about to drag the ladder back to the front porch when he decided he could just leave it where it was, leaning against the wall in the shed. It might look suspicious dragging a ladder to the shed and then disappearing. He could tell his dad that he thought it was better to store the ladder in the shed instead of the front porch. Some passerby might see it and decide to take it. He headed back to the house to finish scraping the last small section of old paint. His father did not show up until he was finished, and then he could only stay for a few minutes. No point in starting to paint this late. You can have the rest of the day off. I will drop you at home, his dad said. By the way, nice job so far, he grinned. I'll make a jack-of-all-trades out of you yet. He leaned down and looked closer at Billy's face. He pointed at his cheek. What happened there? Looks like you've been bleeding. 
Billy touched his cheek and felt where the shard of rock had hit him in his face. He stuck his finger in his mouth and then rubbed spit on the scratch. Something hit me while I was working. It's nothing. I'll get you some safety glasses. That could have hit you in the eye, grunted his father. Remind me. Billy nodded and climbed into the truck. Chapter 20 No More Surveillance As they approached the house, they could see Jackie sitting on the porch. Looks like your friend's waiting. How did he know you were getting off early? asked Billy's dad. Dunno, mumbled Billy. Proper English, please. You talk like that when your mother gets home and I'll be the one in trouble, said his father. I don't know. Maybe he was going to wait all day. Jackie's pretty weird. It's something he would do, replied Billy. He opened the door of the truck and jumped out. See you later, Dad. The truck sped away as Billy strolled up to Jackie. Are you waiting for me? No, I just like sitting on your porch. I found that it's the best spot in the universe to reflect on the nature of existence, he said, the words dripping with sarcasm. Who else would I be waiting for? Billy sat down. What you want to do? It's no longer what I want to do, but what I have to do. Then what do you have to do? Jackie stood up, picked up a rock, and threw it down the driveway. My dad, all of a sudden, wants to install the cameras that he's had in the basement for half a century. He counted them and noticed one was missing. He came straight to my room without even passing go and started yelling at me. I tried to ask him why he did not ask my sister first. Her room was closer, but that just made him angrier. I tried to explain why I had borrowed it, but he didn't want to listen. He said if the camera and old laptop were not back before he got home from work, I could kiss the rest of the summer goodbye. Billy stood up. You didn't tell him about the hijackers, did you? No. What do you take me for? I tried to tell him that our fort needed surveillance, but he was not interested. I even felt it was sort of the truth. We did need it for surveillance. He sighed. Anyway, I have to get the camera back out of the tree and back in the basement before 5.30 when my dad gets home. Jackie threw another rock. And that is why I'm on your porch waiting for you. We need to get your dad's screw gun, climb up to the fort, and disconnect the whole thing. So where's the screw gun? My dad left his tools at the Cooper house. Let's go, said Billy, jumping to his feet. He hurried towards the old maple tree. Jackie followed. I will go first, and you keep an eye out for observers. Once I'm in the tree, I will signal you when the coast is clear. A few minutes later, they were both on the large branch that hung over the fence above the shed on the Cooper property. They dropped down onto the roof and climbed down the pallet leaning up against the end wall. Billy went to the back door of the house, lifted a rock near the steps, picked up a key and went into the house. A few minutes later, he returned with the screw gun in hand. Jackie was coming out of the shed with their safety harnesses. He pulled a cloth shopping bag out of his backpack. 
Put the screw gun in this. I brought it to carry the camera and the laptop. We can use the rope to lower them down. They slipped into their homemade climbing harnesses and ascended the tree to the platform of the treehouse. It took only a few minutes to remove the camera. Let's look at the footage and see if we got anything, said Jackie. He opened the laptop. There were about 50 video files on the desktop. Crap, swore Jackie. We don't have time to look at all of these. I bet each shows a car driving past. Great intel. Fifty cars drove past last night between midnight and 4 a.m. Billy looked at the files. Open that one, he ordered. What's so special about that one? It's longer than the others. See the length? This one is huge. It's 15 minutes long. Everything else is like 10 seconds. Probably that's how long it takes for a car to come into view and zoom past. Open that one. There was some movement for 15 minutes. That's how long it would take to pull over a truck and hijack it. Nice catch, Billy boy, said Jackie, and he started the video. They watched in silence. A car came down the freeway very slowly. Smoke was coming out of the hood. It rolled to a stop on the side of the freeway. A man got out of the car, walked to the front, and stared at the vapor billowing out of the hood. He opened the hood, and more vapor rose up. He went to the trunk of the car and opened it. He took out a jug of liquid and walked back to the front. He reached under the hood with his hand and pulled it back quickly. He was jumping up and down. It appeared as if he had burned his hand. The car overheated. He will have to wait until the engine cools down before he can open the radiator cap and pour the liquid in. It's probably water. That's why this video took so long. It's not a hijacking, it's just a broken down car, said Billy as he looked down at the freeway. Look, he pointed, the car's still there. Jackie glanced up at the car and back to the screen. He's thumbing a ride from another car. What do you mean thumbing, asked Billy. Hitchhiking. You remember the old horror movie we watched at my birthday party? It was called The Hitcher. That young couple almost run over a guy hitchhiking, so they pick him up, and he tries to kill them about 500 times. It was hysterically funny. Oh, said Billy. He remembered the movie, but he also remembered closing his eyes and plugging his ears during the bloody parts. He was not going to tell Jackie that. He glanced back at the computer screen. The hitchhiking man had been picked up. The video ended. I have to erase these. My dad will look at them if we leave them, and he'll wonder why they were taken from a height. That will cause him to ask questions. With that, he selected them all and hit the delete button. They all vanished. After unhooking everything, he put it all into the cloth bag. He tied the rope onto the bag and lowered it all down while Billy climbed down and untied the rope. Once everything was back in place, they climbed onto the shed roof into the maple tree and headed back into the glen. Catch you later, said Jackie, as he veered off towards his house, carrying the shopping bag of equipment. Yeah, said Billy. He was just about home when he remembered that they had left the electrical cords still up in the tree fort. 
He couldn't leave it there. It was like an arrow pointing to the secret fort. It had to come down. Besides, he could use it elsewhere. The tunnel would be far less frightening if it were lit up. His dad had removed a lot of the old electrical light fixtures and piled them up in the living room of the Cooper place. Billy would rescue a few of them and hang them in the tunnel. But that was a job he could start tomorrow. He had to figure out a way of getting that big brass lock off the barred gate at the end of the tunnel. Chapter 21 Lights and Visitors Billy's job the next morning was to paint the freshly scraped siding. Billy started on the front of the house. His dad was still rewiring the kitchen. New recessed lighting was to be installed in the kitchen ceiling after the old warped wooden lath and plaster was removed. At one point, Billy was called to help drag the plaster debris out to the truck. He still finished applying the first coat of paint on the front of the house just before lunch. They sat on the front stoop and ate the sandwiches his father had made. Not much was said until they had practically finished eating. You miss your mum? his dad asked suddenly. Billy grinned. Yeah, she makes better sandwiches than you, and she always gives me a treat. I don't see a treat in this bucket. He flipped the lid of the lunch bucket closed. Yeah, I miss her too. She always gives me a treat too. I'm partial to her homemade cookies. She called me on Skype late last night after you had gone to bed. She asked after you, said she missed you. They will be home in three weeks. Billy nodded. He knew he was looking forward to seeing his mum, but not so sure about seeing his sister. Maybe she would be nicer after a trip around Europe. He hoped, but he also had his doubts. Well, back to work, said his dad. He admired Billy's painting job. Billy did too. He was a good painter. He'd found out last summer that he could not cut corners unless he wanted to do the job twice. Excellent job, William. Only three more sides to go. He smiled and roughed Billy's hair. I have to go to the dump and then strip some forms from the driveway I poured last week. I'll pick you up around 4.30. He turned to go and then quickly turned back. What do you want for supper? Ribs, said Billy without hesitation, with chipotle barbecue sauce. Ribs it is, replied his dad, and he turned and left. Billy was going to paint as much as he could in two hours, then grab some of the old light fixtures from the floor in the living room, remove the extension cords from the treehouse, open the trap door and run the cords down the tunnel as far as they would go. He might even get time to connect some of the fixtures. He painted as fast as he could. After two hours, he had a small section remaining. He stopped, planning to return to the painting just before his father arrived. He wanted it to look like he had never stopped. That way, no questions would be asked. Billy climbed up into the tree fort, removed the extension cords and dropped them to the ground. 
He and Jackie had run the cords from the shed to the base of the tree, the long way around along the fence that separated the glen from the Cooper property, in order to easily conceal them. There was a lot of cord, hopefully enough to go all the way to the barred gate in the tunnel. He coiled the individual cords up and carried them into the shed. Then he opened the trap door and dropped the ladder down. Separating the shortest cord, he set it on the bench. He would use this cord to plug into the cords that ran down the tunnel. It would be connected when he entered and then removed when he left. That way, he would not have to leave a tell-tale cord running across the floor when he was not there. He had selected half-dozen old fixtures with bulbs still screwed into their sockets. He carried the cords and all the lights down into the tunnel. Each fixture had the bare ends of wire from their previous connections. He straightened the stiff wires and prepared each for connection to the extension cords. He had watched his father do this many times. He shoved the stiff wire right into the slots of the multi-receptacle extension cord, taped them in place with electrical tape, and then plugged the next cord into another of the receptacles in the head. This way, he was able to create a string of lights. He heard his father's voice in his head. This is not the safest way to do this, but it's quick and dirty. Never leave a contraption like this plugged in. Billy smiled. He liked the phrase, quick and dirty. He soon had his six lights connected to the extension cords coiled on the floor of the cave. He climbed the ladder, plugged in the short cord, dropped down and proceeded to connect it to his quick and dirty lighting string. He squinted just before the plug made contact, just in case the whole thing turned into a gigantic short circuit and he was showered with sparks like a firework. All the lights worked except one. Billy jiggled the wires. It came on. He retaped the connection. The string of lights would, fingers crossed, run across the floor of the cave all the way to the barred gate. He stood admiring his work and then picked up the coil of lights, avoiding the now hot bulbs. He was about to walk down the tunnel, uncoiling as he went, when he heard a thump from above. He froze and waited. It sounded like a car door. He dropped the string of lights. One of the lights gave a little pop and went out. He ignored it. Bulbs could be replaced. He rushed back to the ladder and climbed up. He had just reached the top when he heard voices. It doesn't look like there's anybody here, said a female voice. Good. I peeked into the house. Front door was locked. Have a look in the shed, said the male voice that Billy thought he had heard before, but could not place. Okay, but we shouldn't trespass. We're already trespassing. Look in the damn shed. Billy felt panic well up from his toes to his hair. It felt like his hair was standing straight up. He sucked air into his lungs and reacted. He grabbed the cord that was running from the workbench across the floor and down to his string of lights. He pulled on it in an effort to get the plug out of its receptacle above the workbench. It did not budge. He yanked harder and the cord came free. It rattled across the workbench and clunked to the floor. Billy 
pulled on the cord and it snaked down into the hole in the floor. What was that? I heard something, said a female voice just outside the shed door. Billy stepped higher on the ladder and pulled the handle on the trap door. It closed almost silently. The only noise he heard was the creaking hinges of the shed door as it was opened. He held his breath, crouching down on the top of the ladder, still clutching the trap door handle. There's nobody here, said the male voice. You imagined it probably a mouse or a rat. Oh, I hate rats. I was just teasing. There's no food around here, so probably not rats. Why would a painter leave their paint bucket and brush out to dry up unless they were nearby and planned to return shortly? Billy held his breath, listening intently. Okay, let's just have a quick look around. I found that hollow brass figurine right here. According to the archives, there was a ring of thieves that belonged to one of the Chinese triads that robbed gold miners when they came into town. Sometimes they concealed their booty inside brass creatures. They were never caught. In fact, there was a story that a bunch of miners got together and formed a vigilante group. They started a war with the Chinese gangsters and wiped them out. They searched for their gold but never found it. Only two figurines filled with gold, along with a box of small gold bars, were ever found, and they were discovered on a ship bound for Hong Kong. The rest of the gold was lost. And you think the gold is stashed somewhere around here? Yeah. The guy that is fixing up this house told me there's a forge in the cellar of the house. I have an appointment to come and see it on Thursday, but I wanted to have a look around the property without having to explain what I was looking for. Billy recognized the voice. It was the archaeology graduate student from the university. He continued to listen. The man spoke again. The body was found here by the kid. I suspect that Mr. Wong was killed and buried here. I found a bullet and compared it to the hole in Mr. Wong's skull. I'm guessing someone murdered him. I also ran the metal detector over the yard and found that brass bear pig thing over there somewhere. I figured there might be more, and perhaps some of them are filled with gold. You have a look over there. I'll check near the edge of the property. What the heck am I looking for? asked the woman. I have no idea, but if you see something out of the ordinary, like a hump or depression in the ground where one shouldn't be, let me know. What if we do find something? Do you have any idea what gold is selling for these days? It's a lot. Wouldn't you like to pay off those student loans and maybe buy a car some day? You mean keep it? said the female voice. Billy imagined the man nodding his head. Technically, it would belong to the government. It would be easy to smash away the brass containers, melt down the gold and sell it. It's not like anyone is looking for it after a hundred years. I'm a firm believer in finders keepers. Now go look. After a few minutes of waiting and not hearing any sounds, Billy pulled the lever to open the trap door. He was glad he had oiled the springs and hinges. 
The trapdoor opened with the soft, almost inaudible thump. He quickly climbed out and pushed the trapdoor closed behind him. He went to the small, dirty window beside the door and peeked out. He could see the two people wandering over far sections of the Cooper property. After about ten minutes, the girl yelled out, "'There's nothing here. Let's go before someone comes.' "'Okay. You want to come with me on Thursday when I get to see the forge? It might hold a clue or two. They walked to the white van and drove away. Billy realized he was way behind on getting back to painting before his dad arrived. He opened the trap door, pulled up the ladder, closed the door, and headed back to where he had left his painting materials and tools. No sooner had he picked up his brush than his father arrived. The truck pulled right up beside him. Not as fast as this morning, eh? That's okay. It's better to do a good job than rush and have to do a redo. Clean up, and we can head to the supermarket to buy some of those baby back ribs you like so much. Billy grinned and shoved the brush in a container of water, then resealed the tin of paint. He jumped in the truck with his mind racing. The thoughts were rushing down the tunnel to the barred gate. If there was gold on the other side, then he was going to be the one to discover it. He was going to tell his dad about the visitors, but immediately realized that would expose all his plans. He was silent on the way to the supermarket while his dad rambled about the concrete driveway job.